Lord, we thank you so much for bringing us here today and for this opportunity to study your word. God, we want to know you. We want to get close to you, God. We want to go deeper, God, into your word. And we know your word is where we can be transformed. And the more deeper we get, the more transformed, Lord, in our lives we get as we know your word. So, God, I ask that by your Holy Spirit you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. And, Lord, that that you would just cause our, our, our hearts to be open to everything that you want us to, to know, to receive from you. So, Lord, anoint your word today, God. Anoint it with your spirit, and we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, as a way to give honor to the pastor of the church, the Keiki class wrote letters of appreciation to him. And here's a few of the letters that came from these 8 to 11-year-olds. Arnold wrote this, Thank you for teaching us that God loves everybody, but he never met my sister. <laughs> Patty said, I liked your sermon. I'm sorry I can't leave more money in the plate. My father didn't give me a raise in my allowance. Could you have a sermon about a raise in my allowance? Laureen said, the church is great. I think a lot more people would come to your church if you moved it to Disneyland. <laughs> Joshua wrote, I like to talk on the Ten Commandments, but I don't think I want to learn them because we have enough rules already in my house. <laughs> Lastly, Ralph said, I liked your sermon on Sunday, especially when it was finished. <laughs> Ooh, ouch there. Well, these kids have their own way of honoring the pastor. But you know what? You and I, we have the most important thing that we can do, and that is to give honor to God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Honor is, I found this definition, the value we personally place on something or someone. So you and I, we honor others to a degree we consider them or their position as significant. Someone said, when we honor God, we are demonstrating the high regard we have for Him. And you know what? As Christians, that comes out in the way we worship, in the way we live, and in the way we seek Him. So, as we continue in our study through the book of Hebrews, we find the examples of faith in two Old Testament characters, and they are Abel and Enoch. The writer shows how their faith is seen in their giving God honor and respect. And that's the title of our message this morning. Giving God honor and respect. We're going to be studying Hebrews chapter 11 from verse 4 through 6 this morning. Three verses. Last time we began the chapter with three verses. Now we're going to go on with three verses. And so giving God honor and respect is seen through these three things. And this is what we're going to find. This is our outline. Number one, the compliant offering. Number two, the centered life. And number three, the committed belief. So let's begin here with number one, the compliant offering. The compliant offering. Take a look with me here now. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. It reads here, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, uh, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. So in our first section, we're just going to take this verse. We begin with two words, by faith which continues and connects us to what we studied last week. If you're here, you can grab the CD. But what we saw last week, the writer defined, and our title last week was, What is Faith? Now, last time we learned in, in the first verse of Hebrews 11 that faith is basically this unshakable confidence, an unshakable conviction of the absolute certainty of God, His Word, and His works. And in this kind of faith that the, the writer's talking about, we saw how the Jewish readers, already the writer encouraged them, they already have this kind of faith in believing Genesis 1-1, that God created the heavens and the earth. And, and, and you believe that, he was saying. You remember, even when none of us were there when he created the world, but we have this unshakable belief and uh, confidence and, and conviction that that's what God did. 
So we saw that faith is to believe in God for the things unseen. And as we, that's what we see in Hebrews 11.1, 1, right? Just take a look up there. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So we also learn that this kind of faith will, will certainly result in an outward response. That was one of our points last week. Thus, the writer goes on in the rest of this chapter to show you what this kind of faith looks like. So as he brings us deeper and deeper into this meaning and to see what it really is about, that's, he's going to be giving us some characters, some people, figures from the Old Testament. So today, the writer starts out in verse 4 talking about Abel. He writes this in in verse 4. By faith, Abel offered God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Now, if you remember your Old Testament story, remember Abel and Cain were Adam and Eve's sons. And in Genesis 4, Abel was basically a shepherd. Cain was a farmer. And when it came time to go and worship the Lord and bring an offering, Cain brought an offering from the ground, and Abel brought a prepared offering from the firstborn of his flock, basically a lamb. And then God accepted Abel's, but not Cain's. And that's why it says here, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice, or a better way to translate it is a a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. So the idea here is Abel pleased God with his giving and Cain didn't please God with his giving, his offering. And why is that now? Why is that? Well, because Abel's offering was given by faith. And that's why he starts this verse out saying by faith. Cain's wasn't. It wasn't given in faith. Now, listen to what Proverbs chapter 21, 27 says. And this is the NLT. It says the sacrifice of an evil person is detestable, especially when it is offered with wrong motives. Now, with all that, that gives us a clue on why Abel's was accepted and Cain's giving wasn't. It was the heart. It was the heart behind the offering. Abel's was with faith. The heart of Abel was to give an offering really according to what God wanted. So by faith, he followed God's instructions. But Cain came and did what he thought would be okay. He didn't come by faith. So Abel showed his faith by honoring and respecting God's wishes. And Cain, well, he could have cared less about it. Now, if you go back into time, you remember after Adam and Eve sinned, they tried to hide that nakedness which sin revealed and the they're wrong that they did with fig leaves, right? But then after God confronted them of their sin, exposed it, talked to them, the next thing we see, God clothed them with animal skin, meaning a sacrifice was made for the covering of sin. So the first time an animal was killed was to cover the first time human beings sin. We saw this all back in Hebrews chapter 9. Uh, verse 22, the second part says, without shedding of blood, there's no remission. So if you were here, you remember, I talked about that very thing with Adam and Eve. So Abel came in obedience to what God wanted. But when Cain came, he could care less and he did what was convenient to him. So Abel came with this sacrifice of the lamb, approached God in that way by faith, believing in what God said. But Cain, he just came and brought what he he thought he could. Now, the Lord even told sad-faced Cain in Genesis 4-7, if you do well, will you not be accepted? In other words, if you approach me in worship in the right way, then you know what? Your offering will be accepted. But Abel was accepted. Cain's heart was not to honor God, but Abel showed his faith, honored God, gave God honor and respect by offering what God was asking according to his terms. But you know, bottom line, think about the heart. Bottom line, what was going on inside of Abel, inside of Cain. Bottom line was how their faith was and what they were showing. It comes down to this really with that. Uh, Bruce Barton said in his commentary, God was concerned more about the heart than the actual sacrifice. God who later accepted grain offerings like in the time of Moses would have accepted Cain's sacrifice if Cain's spiritual state had 
been proper. So what Barton is saying, the main issue is really, you know what, his heart. And I would say this, if Cain had brought an animal sacrifice, probably God maybe wouldn't have accepted that because he didn't come with the right heart by faith. But anyway, Abel came by faith, approached God, showed his faith with the right sacrifice to honor him. And that's why it says here, his sacrifice was the more excellent one. So this is the compliant offering. That's our heading in our outline. So now you can see why the writer goes on in verse 4, and he says, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. In other words, Abel's offering showed that he, he followed God. He, he was godly. Yeah, He was trying to do the righteous, the right thing. Some even say that his faith made him righteous in God because of how his faith did and obeyed the Lord. And then it says, God testifying of his gifts. In other words, God shows his approval of Abel's offering, even though it says here, he being dead still speaks. So this really ties in how Cain, as we know, Cain killed his brother. You know that joke, right? Um, why did Cain kill his brother? Because he was able. <laughs> okay, anyway. I, I had that in there. I took it out, but I thought I'd give it to you anyway. Well, we know in Genesis 4.10 that Cain, you know, killed his brother. And, G- and the Lord said, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So it's like a play on words here. And that Abel's example still speaks to us today. So the idea here is this. Even Abel's murder cannot silence his act of faith. And you know what? We see this. We see this in this, this scripture looking at here. We see this. In, uh, Jesus made a comment of what happened there. And even in 1 John three twelve, this last part says, And why did he, that's Cain, murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. So God kept testifying through the word of what Abel did by faith and how he honored him in giving what he gave in worship. So Cain could not extinguish what Abel's faith did to honor God. So this brings us to this point. True faith is seen in how Abel gave, honor, gave God honor in worship. That's what the writer's putting forth here for us to learn from Abel's example. And that is true faith is seen in how Abel gave God honor in worship. Abel came in the manner that God prescribed or asked. You know, the other day I was um, talking story with someone I met in the water surfing, and um, uh, he, we were just talking story, and, you know, he's like, you know, people will ask me, oh, what do you do? And I said, oh, I pastor one church. And he's like, oh, oh, yeah, oh. And then, you know, this guy was saying, you know, I, 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 I know I don't go to church on Sunday, but I still worship God at the beach. This is my church, you know. The ocean is my uh, church, and that's where I go to worship. Have you ever heard that before? I mean, I, I hear this a lot. Like, some have told me that, well, my church is a golf course. That's my place of worship there. But think about that now. Does that really honor God? Yeah. Does that really respect His Wishes. You remember back in Hebrews 10, 25, uh, we read and study it, you know, to not be forsaking the fellowship or assembling of ourselves together, right? And, and, and we've learned, we've seen the early church meeting together, whether in homes or whatever, Sunday morning, whenever that is, but they met together as a body to pray, study God's scriptures, to worship the Lord, uh, partake in communion together, right? We see in the scriptures it's important to meet together as a church seeking God. So what does it say about a person's faith when they say, well, my, my church is, is, you know, we, we, we go diving. Or my church is, you know, playing baseball on Sunday mornings, you know. Uh, what does that really say? Are they really honoring and respecting what God would want? What kind of faith does that show? 
Let me ask you this. I mean, we're here today worshiping the Lord, but how is your worship? You know, say when we come to worship in song. I mean, we worship worship in studying the Word. We worship in praying. But, you know, when we come together and worship the Lord in song, does it reflect the kind of faith that honors and respects what God wants? How is that? You know, what's sad to me is, is how we disrespect Jesus by maybe taking a casual attitude toward worship and coming to the Lord and singing songs. I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't really look out when, I'm, when we're doing worship. I just kind of close my eyes and I'm just with the Lord, you know. But I know sometimes we come late. And sometimes some of you come regularly late. Is that really honoring and respecting God in that way? I mean, when it comes to work, oh yeah, we're on time, right? Because we're going to be docked if, 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 you know, we won't have our pay if we don't come on time. Or, or when we go see a movie, hey, we've got to come early, come on, we got, we got to get our popcorn, got to get our, our drink and everything. So we come extra early and get the good seat. Well, now you can, you know, reserve your seats and you have, you know, the, the nice comfy seats and everything. But, you know, we want, we want to be there and everything. So we're like, yeah, because the, the movie or even other events. But when it comes to church, are we so zealous about it? I mean, shouldn't we come with a heart to honor, respect God? And when you come to church, I mean, do you give God your undivided attention? You know, like, oh, when we come to worship or when we're opening the word, you know, I, I, I'm before God. I always picture like, you know, Mary and Martha, you know, before Jesus. And, and, and Mary was the one just sitting before Jesus, all attentive, you know, listening uh, for his words and, and something to learn what Jesus was going to speak to her. But here's Martha, boom, bing, bing, you know, running around. But sometimes we're like that in our minds, right? Sometimes we're, we're, we're more about, oh, talking to people and telling them our story and all this stuff than really coming to the Lord and giving him our whole heart undivided attention. Let me ask you this. Would you say you're more like Abel or Cain in your worship? There's an old story about a man who dreamed that an angel escorted him to church one Sunday. There he saw the praise team singing, the musicians playing their instruments, but the man heard no sound. The congregation was singing, but the sound was muted. There was no volume. In amazement, the the man turned to the angel escort for an explanation. And the angel said, well, this is the way it sounds to us in heaven. You hear nothing because there is nothing to hear. These people are engaged in the form of worship, but their thoughts are on other things and their hearts are far away. And, you know, the heading to this story was worship from God's perspective. May it not be for you and me. May God see something different, yeah, from our heart and what we come to bring to Him and our, our offering of praise when we come, church. Okay, faith is seen in giving God honor and respect through the compliant offering. Now we go to number two in our outline, the centered life. The centered life. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5 now. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So in this second section, we're just going to take a look at verse 5. Now, the writer introduces another Old Testament person, and that's Enoch. And he says, by faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. And then the writer quotes here a part of Genesis 5.23 where he was not found because God had taken him. In other words, Enoch didn't die, but he was directly taken from earth to be with God right away. Now, we know in the Old Testament, Enoch is one of two guys that did not see death. The other one was who? Elijah, remember a fiery chariot came and took him away? But Enoch basically disappeared one day. He was just gone. The word taken away here, it actually means transported or carried away. In a sense, he was like the rapture, like how the church will be one day. Now, don't be confused here where it says by faith. It was not that by faith he was taken away or brought home to be with the Lord, but it was because because of Enoch's, Enoch's faith that 
he was taken away. And that's talking about how he lived his life out, how he lived his faith out. And that's what caused God to bring him home to him. Now, that's why it says here in the second part of verse 5, for before he was taken, he had his testimony. He was known for a person, and it says here in verse 5, that pleased God. So what does that mean, Enoch pleased God? You know what that means? It means Enoch lived a life centered on God. He lived a life that had a, life, a relationship with God. And that is, our heading here, the centered life. That's what I mean by that. He had a, a life centered on God because he had this relationship with the Lord. And that's the idea here. Now, take a moment right now. Turn over. We're going to take a quick look here to Genesis, the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 5. Turn over to Genesis chapter 5. And we're going to look at a few verses from verse 21 through 24 this morning. Genesis 5, 21 through 24. Here we, we find this story or this, this um, uh, report of Enoch here. And here in verse 21, Genesis 5, it says, Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. Now, remember back then before the flood, uh, people lived a long time. So, yeah, he literally lived like 300 years. Verse 23, so all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Years. And then look at verse 4. Here's the part. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So you can see here, before Enoch was taken or, or, or raptured or you know, brought to the Lord and disappeared, this is how Enoch pleased God. This is the kind of faith he had. He walked with God. In other words, Enoch had this relationship with God. He was, he was always with God. He was always doing things for God. He was always, God was part of his life, you know. God wasn't just this, oh, this religion. Or God wasn't just this, oh, yeah, yeah, I believe in God, but you just live your life. And then when Sunday comes, you come church. And then after that, you go back to your life. It wasn't something added to his life. But he had this real living relationship with God. And that's what it means that he walked with God. And, and I like this, you know, his faith in the unseen God, he did everything he could even to live for God, which meant he honored God by making him the priority and center of his life. Enoch made it a regular habit to daily be what it says here, walking with God. Now, it's interesting to note here that we know that Enoch had a, a great testimony of his faith in that he preached and prophesied God's message. Jude 14 talks about how Enoch prophesied, which goes along with Jewish tradition, that Enoch was this prophet and preacher of God. And I believe he was. I believe he was prophesying and preaching for people to repent and get a relationship with God because the flood is coming. Because if you look in verse 21, right, his son was Methuselah, one of his sons, right, was Methuselah. And he's particularly mentioned here because his name actually means his death shall bring it. Bring what? Bring the flood. And guess what? When Methuselah died, that same year, the flood with Noah and all that came upon the earth. I mean, why name your son that unless God wanted you to and have your son like in warning, an object warning that he could use to preach about the flood that is coming? You know, I had a thought. Can, could you imagine every time Enoch's son got a cold or sneezed or got sick? Is, is the Lord coming now? You know, kind of like, is this it? So you can see how Enoch's life was a testimony of his faith. And that just showed his relationship. He had a strong relationship with God. And I like something Wiersbe added. In his commentary, he said, Enoch walked with God in the wicked world before the flood came, and he was able to keep his life pure. Well, the point here is this. True faith is seen in how Enoch gave God honor by his walk. True faith is seen in how Enoch gave God honor by his 
walk. It's about his relationship, about living for and living with his God here. Abel honored God in his worship, but Enoch honored God in his walk here. You know, I was thinking about how years before um, Pastor Chuck, the found, founder of Calvary Chapel, had passed away. Um, years, year, years before that, uh, he had, John Corson, uh, moved from Oregon to Southern California to see if maybe Pastor John would maybe be the one who might take over the church when Pastor Chuck goes home to heaven. And so John Corson, Corson, he started teaching in all, uh, a Tuesday study there, and Sunday night there Chuck had him teach. And, and on Tuesday, when he first came, oh, the place was like packed, you know. People everywhere, people sitting on the floor even. They ran out of seats and everything. And, and there was this excitement, you know, for him coming and, and excitement for God and the Word of God at that time. Well, during that, I remember asking a pastor who was good friends with Corson, and, and I asked, well, how's he doing? You know, it must be exciting, you know, seeing what the Lord is doing, all these people coming, the ministry, you know, and what God will have for him for ministry. And, and you know what? The pastor friend told me that, you know, Corson didn't say anything when he talked to him about this possibility of taking Calvary Chapel over or all the people coming to his study. But you know what he was excited about? His walk with the Lord. Corson shared how he enjoyed his time with God. When, when he would read the Bible and pray, and that's what he was excited about. He just talked about his excitement with his relationship with the Lord and how close he was getting. I mean, isn't that amazing? I, I share this because that still speaks to me today. I mean, it really spoke to me about this is what it's about, Lord. It's about relationship with you. It's about walking this earth here with you. And that's what true faith is. That's what it is to really honor God, is to honor this relationship that God has made possible for us. How about you? Does that kind of faith in you, do you have that kind of faith with, with this drive inside of you for you to better your relationship with God? I mean, do you like to take those so-called walks, you know, with the Lord? See, real faith, what the writer's talking about here, it, it puts in your heart this, this deep desire to delight in the Lord, to, to be with Him, to get close to the God who sent Jesus to save you, to get close to the Lord Jesus. I mean, if Jesus made the way for us to be forgiven, to have access, as we've been talking about in Hebrews, right, to through the curtain to have access to God, that He's made the way for us to have a relationship, a one-on-one relationship with Him. Wouldn't we want that and live in that relationship? Wouldn't we, our lives should be centered on Jesus, centered around this relationship. Let me ask you this morning, how is your relationship with Jesus? How has it been going lately? Have you been cultivating it, like, like you know, working on it? Have you been really seeking God like you should? You know what? To honor God and respect Him is to do what Enoch did. To give God this honor and respect by building a strong relationship with Him. You know, I like what David said in Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself also in the Lord. Are you delighting yourself in the one who loves you so much? The one who's waiting for you to come and get closer to him? The one who every day is like sitting there, hey, come, come, let's talk. Let's talk story right now. Come on, come on, get in my word. I want to say something to you. Come on, I want to, I want to show you my glory and my presence like with Moses. That is Enoch. He found delight in his relationship with God. And no wonder then, God was so pleased of his faith that one day he just took him home to be with him. A little girl explained to her mother after church how the teacher was telling this story about Enoch and how we walk with God. And so the daughter explained the story in this way. See, mom, every day God would come and buy and say, Enoch, would you like to walk with me? And Enoch would come out of his house and go walk with God. He liked it so much he began to wait at the gate at his house for God to come along and say, Enoch, walk with me. Well, one day they took such a long walk together, the daughter said. God, God told Enoch, Enoch, 
you are much closer to my home than yours, so why don't you just come home with me? And so he did. Enoch went home to be with God. That's the idea, guys. That's the point. All right, so faith is seen in giving God honor and respect through the compliant offering. Number two, the centered life, that relationship with God. And now number three, our last heading here this morning is the committed belief. The committed belief. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So as we come into this last verse we're studying this morning, the writer makes this comment of how important faith is in light, really, of of Enoch and Abel, we can add in here. Notice it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now think about this for a moment. It doesn't say, well, without faith, it's kind of hard, you know. You got to work at it, you know, and and you, you can get there. No, the writer is saying, apart now from this kind of faith he's talking about, there is no way you can please God. And why is that? Well, he lists a couple things here. This kind of faith is really made up of two things. And number one we see in this verse is, faith believes God is who he says he is. Number one here, faith believes God is who he says he is. So, For he who comes to God with this kind of faith, it says, must believe that he is. The NLT puts it this way. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists. And and I like that, but it's more than that, you guys. It's not just that he exists, but he exists in the way he says he exists. I was thinking about, you remember when Jesus was answering the Pharisees, they were questioning, like, who are you? You know, who, who, who we are, what, what are you doing? You know, what, what are you doing here? Who are you? You know, and remember in John eight fifty eight, Jesus answered them saying, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And when we studied that uh, uh, back then, I remember how amazing this was because Jesus was saying that he is that same person who appeared to Moses in Exodus 3.13 who said, I am who I am. And that means Jesus is the Lord God. He is Yahweh. He is the eternal Lord God, the creator of all things. And really that connects us to verse 3, right? The last verse we studied last week that, that you know, God, God made everything, right? So if that is who Jesus says he is, we should honor and respect him for who he is and take him for who he is in what the word of God tells us. So that's what he's saying. This is what the writer's saying. Look, you know, it's impossible to please God. And, and, and here's, here's what you've got to have faith in. Faith believes God is who he says he is. But let me tell you, not everybody believes God is who he says he is, right? Some change God into what they think God is or they want God to be like. One commentator mentioned a book, I was was reading this commentary, he mentioned a book by J.B. Phillips and it was called Your God is Too Small. And in it, Phillips, the writer, describes some of the common gods, so to speak, that people manufacture. One is this, the grand old man. God is like the white-haired grandfather who kindly smiles down at people, winks at adultery, stealing, cheating, and lying. In other words, the idea of this this grandfather God is he's just a nice old man who doesn't really deal with sin and kind of looks the other way and it's just, you know, oh yeah, grandpa's always nice to us kind of thing. Another uh, God that is manufactured is the extreme opposite, really. This God that people make is more like a local policeman, like a policeman God. His job is to make life difficult and unenjoyable. The writer talks about he is always looking for ways to discipline you, like to harp on you for your wrongs. Then there's what people manufacture, another God, uh, the God in the box, the writer calls. This is a private and exclusive or 
or he says a snobbish God. This God only deals with certain individuals. He's distant, hard to read. You know, uh, that's the God some people think. And finally, uh, another type of uh, manufactured God is the managing director God. And that is a God who uh, designed and created the universe, started it spinning, this planet, planets orbiting and spinning but then he after he got it going he took a step back and just watches everything from the distance this is a god that really deists believe in and this god is not really involved in the world's affairs involved in people's lives well interesting is it isn't it but here's the thing when you manufacture your own god so to speak or your own view of god you're really making God out to be an idol. But real faith does not make God into something that he didn't say he is. Faith takes God at his word. Faith takes God at who he said he is. And you know what? That's what's pleasing to him. Makes sense, right? That's what honors him, of course. That's what gives him respect because God said, hey, this is who I am. Oh, no, Lord, I'm not going to think of that way. That's disrespectful. But to honor and respect God is to take him for who he says he is. So faith believes God is who he says he is. But there's a second thing we see here in our last verse. Faith believes God will personally respond to those who diligently seek him. And that's what we see in this second thing. Faith believes God will personally respond to those who diligently seek him. Now look here, this is the last part of the verse, or last thing we see today. We see at the end of verse 6, it says, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So when you truly see God for who he is, you cannot help but want more of him in your life that's the idea and that causes you to what diligently seek god with all your heart and that is exactly what god intended all along he intended for everyone to seek him out and to end up having this relationship with god like enoch this is what is built into every person here on this earth it's part of our being to want to know god to want to be close to our maker and maker and then as you god reveals himself as you learn about god then then we will yearn for more knowledge about him and more about getting closer to him and so then we start to diligently seek him and to those who diligently seek him it says god is the rewarder in other words god will reward that person with not only salvation, eternal life, but with that relationship, this close fellowship you can have with him. So that's what pleased God with Enoch. That's why this verse is right after Enoch. Enoch didn't not, did not believe that God was just some cosmic force in the universe. Yeah, the force be with you, you know, kind of thing. No, Enoch believed that God... This is real, the living God. That God was a God that could be known. And Enoch sought after God and had a relationship with him and lived for God because of that. God, Enoch honored God and sought out this relationship. And then God blessed him or rewarded him with that close fellowship. We understand this. John chapter 4 verse 8 says, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Proverbs 8, 17 says, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently will find me. And then turn for a moment to Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29. And I just want you to see this with your own eyes. I could quote it to you. But Jeremiah 29, 11, for some of you, that's your life verse Jeremiah 29, 11, but we're going to start there. Jeremiah 29, 11. We see God's heart here to, to want us to seek Him out, to want us to be close to Him, to want everything to be about Him. Jeremiah 29, 11. He says here, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. 
And some of us, that's our life verse. We hold on to that. This is God's heart toward you. This is His thoughts. He loves you. He wants to work in your life. But then look at verse 12. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. And then verse 13. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Do you understand what's going on here? Real faith believes in who God is. Real faith believes in what Jesus has done. Real faith understands, wow, Lord, you love me. And you want to have this relationship with me. So, you know what? I'm going to search you out. I'm going to seek you out. I'm going to be diligent. I'm going to, I'm going to come to that place where my deepest desire is you, God. That everything in my life is about you. And that is how Enoch walked with God. That is why Abel made sure he honored God in worship. You see how this is all coming together. This is the kind of faith that we see in Abel and Enoch that shows a committed belief. And that's our heading. The committed belief. We're, we're committed to. We're, we have this passion for it. We have this desire that, you know what, this is everything. We believe in who God is and His love for me and what He's done. So I'm going after that. John MacArthur wrote, In order to please Him, that's God, we must believe that He is personal, that He is knowable, He's loving, caring, moral, and, I like what MacArthur put, responds graciously to those who come to Him. So you do you see, since God wants us to seek Him out, then when we do that, God is honored. God is respected when we do that with all of our hearts. So, our last point here is true faith is seen when one diligently and passionately seeks a close fellowship with the living God. True faith is seen when one diligently and passionately seeks a close fellowship with the living God. I don't know about you guys, that that just fires my heart up. That's what I want. Isn't that what you want? Isn't that what what you want to do? I mean, sometimes we don't do it. Sometimes during a week we, we have more days of not than more days than we are. Sometimes our devotionals aren't aren't there. Sometimes they are. Sometimes our mind is, is really focused on God. Sometimes it's not. But deep inside, I know you and me, all of us, we have that in us. Because God has saved us for that purpose. Because the Holy Spirit right now is, is stirring our hearts up and, and calling us to tell us true faith is seen when one diligently and passionately seeks a close fellowship with the living God. You know, I, I was thinking way back... Um, you know how the Lord used Calvary Chapel back in the late 60s and 70s during the Jesus movement. And I, I got saved at the end of that when I was 14 years old. And, and uh, during that time, Christians who were totally sold out for the Lord, you know what? They began to be called Jesus freaks. They were labeled Jesus freaks. It was actually a derogatory label. It was a put down. For, for, you know, for believers. But you know what? Back then, Christians were like proud of it. Yeah, I'm a Jesus freak, you know. I mean, that was their passion. That, that, at that time, oh, and the Holy Spirit was so strong. Man, that was it. It was about Jesus. And, and we were Jesus freaks because we were zealous, zealous and passionate for God. You know, it didn't matter what anyone thought because, you know what? Back then, we knew who God is and what he can do for people lost in sin and how God can turn a life around and how we can have this incredible relationship with the Lord God. That was this drive. There was a love for Jesus, you know, enough so that people look at them like, oh, everything's about Jesus, you know. You guys are Jesus freaks, yeah. Uh, One definition from an online dictionary defined this uh, this way it's a jesus freak is someone who displays an unusual or embarrassing amount of enthusiasm for jesus amen that's what it's about that's what it's about now think about this it's interesting back in the early church 
Acts 11.26 tells us that the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Christian means uh, of the party of Christ. But back then, when, when the, the, the unsaver and, and the unsaved Jews were calling Christians, oh, you Christians, it was really derogatory. It was a put down. It was really used to put them down. But you know what? Believers back then owned the name. Yeah, that's what I am. I'm a party to Christ. I'm a part of Christ. Uh, some even say that it means little Christians, you know, like little Christ. Like, yeah, I'm in Christ. I follow Jesus. They totally embrace Jesus Christ for who he is and for what he did. Well, today, you know what? Our faith should be proved by people seeing us as Jesus freaks, right? That's how passionate we should be. That's how diligent we should be in seeking close fellowship with God that it's everything is about Jesus Christ. Does your faith show that? Does your life show that? Has let me ask you this this morning. Has your zealousness cooled down? What happened to that fire? You know, usually when we're new Christians or you see it in new Christians, we see this fire and this passion, this unashamed, you know, way about them. I'm going to carry my Bible. I'm going to wear my Jesus shirts, you know. I'm going to talk about Jesus. I'm going to tell people and ask them if they want prayer. I'll pray for you, you know, and Jesus can help you. I'm going to name his name. But then something happens, you know, when we get older in the Lord. We, we seem to cool down. Or maybe some of you have been that way for a long time and even matured in that way, but certain things have happened in your life. Maybe, maybe some sin has crept in and you've given into temptation and now you're like little shame about it. But we've been talking about how Jesus can forgive you, right? That He can cleanse you. That, that, he, can, that he remembers no more, right? And you can get right back up to living for God again. Or maybe some things have happened in your life and brought doubt into your mind. And maybe Satan has worked on you so hard that, he, he, that he's won in the sense that, all right, this guy isn't on fire and a Jesus freak no more. Don't succumb to that. Let us not be like that. You know, if you believe in who God is, do you believe in who God is and who he says in the word? If you believe in what Jesus Christ has done for you and this world and for people who are lost, and if you believe that Jesus wants this relationship with you, then you know what? Honor and respect His wishes by diligently seeking Him, doing everything. Make your life about Jesus, every single thing. Does your love and your heart for Jesus show others how much Jesus means to you? This is how we show faith, you guys. This is it. I want to um, close with this, um, well, this thought. Uh, last April, you remember um, the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris caught on fire. Do you remember that scene on the news yeah? on, in Paris? And it was big news, right? I mean, this cathedral, I think it was built in like 1162, finished 1345. And, you know, there's there a lot of uh, ancient things in there, religious relics and, and all that. And it caught on fire. And by the time it was extinguished, most of the roof was gone. The upper walls were severely damaged, smoke damage all over. Uh, remember that uh, 290-foot-high spiral uh, burned and fell from the fire and you know it was tragedy for for many people especially you know just this being this this old ancient you know building they say today they don't know maybe an electrical short or a cigarette but started the fire but no one knows for sure but but out of that time when when it with the fire and after it was extinguished this story came out in the news and 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 i thought this was interesting it, out of the fire, this story came out about a hero priest who went in, as the firefighters went in, to, and he rescued two artifacts. 
One of the ones he rescued um, is what they call the crown of thorns, which some believe to be a remnant of the wreath of thorns that was placed on the head of Jesus at the time of his crucifixion. And the crown had been around in that uh, uh, cathedral since the 13th century. And so this priest, John Mark Foreigner, ran in and grabbed what he couldn't grab. And, you know, one of the two things was that crown of thorns. Now, I don't know if that's really the actual crown. I mean, personally, I don't think so. But in a way, this priest inspires me. Well, you know why? To risk all. He risked all. To do all he could, right? It inspires me to risk all, to do all I can, to have a faith that honors my God. To worship God with all my heart. To walk with God in this dynamic relationship with Him. To diligently, passionately seek to be close to God. And to not let the fire of sin and flesh burn up my faith. And disrespect the God who did so much for me. So you guys, there's a fire that can burn. And Satan wants to attack and put this fire there, you know. But we got to run in and we got to grab those things that we still hold dear because it honors God. Don't lose that which Christ sacrificed so much for. Don't allow anything to come in the way of giving God honor and respect. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, forgive us today and cleanse us from our sin. Lord, we, we have disrespected you in so many ways, God. We have not honored you like we should in what we are reading about today. Lord, as we come here, we want to commit together to honor and respect in all that we do, we say, we think. Whatever we allow in our heart, Lord, let it be honorable to you. Let us also honor you with the choices that we make. And God, as we seek to worship you in honoring you, God, in a way of, of honoring you, as we seek a, a relationship to walk with you, God, as we seek to diligently go after you with a passion to become Jesus freaks to the, to the world. Lord, we want to exalt you in our minds, in our hearts, Lord, because you are so worthy. You are the God of this universe. You are the creator of all things we see or and even not see. You are, Lord, sovereign over everything, God, over our lives. Jesus, you are a Savior and you are Lord. And so we are only your servants, God, as you are a master. God, you are a living, holy, righteous God. You are full of all wisdom and power. And Lord, there is no one higher. There is no other God. You are the one true God that there is. And in that, Lord, with all that you've done for us and in, in your call to come to us, for us to come to you, Lord, God, we want to honor you. And we want to seek you like never before. And we want to love you and be more in love with you like never before. And so, God, may you grant us, Lord, the answer by your grace of this request. Lord, I pray that you would stir in each and every one of us a fire, God, a passion like never before. Lord, we want to center our life on you and nothing else. We want to love you, God, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand and we'll close with...